Welcome, my friends, to the Intentional Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Campion, and uh, I'm delighted to bring you this conversation today with Louis Ravolo. Uh, Louis is one of the most inspiring people that I've come across. As you'll hear in this conversation, Louis has struggled deeply in his life with addiction, uh, in his case, alcohol addiction. And while many of the stories of alcoholics don't end positively for obvious reasons, Louis thankfully does. Uh, today, at 58 years old, he's not only conquered his alcohol addiction, but he has channeled some of those tendencies into something very positive, endurance sports. Uh, in fact, seemingly by the day, he is pulling off more and more amazing feats, including recently becoming an Ironman triathlete and completing a 100-mile ultra marathon. Uh, very impressive stuff. I came away from this conversation feeling inspired, and uh, I hope you will too. Uh, before we get into my conversation with Louis, just a quick reminder to subscribe to the Intentional Wisdom newsletter. You can find that at gregcampion.substack.com. It's one email every other week with the best of what I'm learning from people just like Louis. It includes uh, behind the scenes uh, stories from the podcast, tips, tricks, strategies, technologies, everything that I'm using myself to optimize my own habits and routines, and our reader favorite, uh, my content diet. So what I'm reading, watching, and listening to, I share all of that. gregcampion.substack.com. Check it out and uh, let me know what you think. Finally, finally, if you love this episode as much as I hope you will. Please, please, please share it on social media. Tell a friend, help spread the word. It really does help. And I will be eternally grateful. All right. Enough intro. Here is Louis Rivolo. All right. Louis Rivolo, welcome to the Intentional Wisdom Podcast. Hey, thank you, Greg. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm so psyched to have you. Um, as I was telling you before we uh, hit record, I've uh, been following you for a while now on Twitter, and I uh, just love all the content you're putting out. Um, super inspirational stuff. You're um, you're a little further along in the journey than I am. I think you're a little more than ten years older than me, something like that. Um, and uh, and you know you make uh, you make your current age look good. Uh, so I have to uh, have to give you a compliment um, on that. But but I guess for anyone who doesn't know you, um, you share a lot on Twitter. Uh, about you're very open about your past struggles uh, with alcohol and uh, your your journey to sort of overcome that. Uh, and then now today, uh, it seems like every time I open up Twitter and look at it, you know, Louis breaking some kind of record or doing some kind of crazy Ultraman race or hundred miler or something like that. So you're doing a lot of cool stuff, man. Uh, and I want to talk about all of it, but uh, just you know, first of all, thank you again for coming on. Great. Yeah, great. Thank, thanks. You know, I was just thinking that uh, <clears throat> I think there there came a time in my sobriety that I was just willing to put it all out there. Um, mm. In the in the beginning, when I was newly sober, I was uh, intimidated about talking and sharing because uh, you know because I, I needed a job and uh, I don't I didn't want to be judged on my past. So yep. in the beginning, I was very intimidated by that, but uh, kind of reached a. a a milestone in my sobriety where I feel like my story can help others. And that's really why I'm willing to put it out there. So anyway, I appreciate awesome. you helping me spread that word. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you are willing to talk about it. And I, I, I totally agree. I think that's 
uh, it's got the potential to uh, help so many people. And I'm sure you already have helped a lot of people. Um, but maybe let's start there. I mean, I, I, I want to talk about everything I mentioned up front and, and even get into stuff like your, your habits and your routines today and all that kind of stuff. But let's start first um, by looking back and maybe talking a little bit about um, you know, what you have overcome. So I was really struck. You put out, you put something out on Twitter recently that said, um, at 37, I was having beer and bourbon for breakfast. And I thought, wow, that's, that really paints, uh, quite a vivid, um, picture. So maybe if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to take us back there to start and tell us kind of what was going on in your life, uh, at that time. Yeah, sure. So my, my, um, the beginning of that tweet was uh, I became a daily drinker at the age of 17. And um, so what happened was I graduated high school. And um, that summer after my graduation, uh, I went, I I moved to the beach with two of my friends. And uh, that's really when my uh, drinking um, became established as a daily, uh, a daily use. So, um, so, uh, I, I struggled from, from that young age for years to, um, to kind of control it and to push it back, but, um, it was slowly progressing and, um, getting to the point where, uh, just drinking after work was no longer what I was interested in. I was interested in, um, full day of drinking and uh mm-hmm. which made it very difficult to work obviously um but uh by the time i turned 37 i um i had uh two really hard years of um of drinking morning afternoon and night and um really uh, it, it 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 continued to um progress to the point where uh, 10 years before uh, my drinking was terrible. And then five years before the end, it was, it was many times worse and two years and the last six months was just in total insanity. Mm. So, um, the last six months of my drinking, uh, I would wait, I, I would, uh, either wake up in the morning or come home. I worked third shift. So, uh, I was one of two people in a truck that, um, that drove, that went out all night. And I was, at the end of my drinking, I was the passenger. Uh, and, um, so I would get out of work at seven in the morning and, uh, stop at the the store and grab a bottle of Jack Daniels and, uh, a 12 pack of beer. And that was my, that was, that, that was my breakfast in the morning uh, before I went back to bed. So, um, and it didn't even need to be, if I didn't, if I hadn't worked that night, I would wake up the next morning and do the same thing. I would drink the same thing. And, um, for a long period of time, I tried to um, do it without the booze, just the beer, limit the amount of beers I was drinking, limit, you know, limit um, the days that I was drinking, because I knew that the end would come soon if I couldn't mm-hmm. control it. The end right. meaning I would either be forced to stop drinking, uh, I, would, I would get so sick that I would have to stop drinking, I would end up... Um, in some type of jam that, um, you know, that I would, I would have to stop drinking or I would end up dead. So I knew that the time was, was coming that I would have to, um, 
that, that I would not be drinking. So I tried to control it with everything I had, and that uh, that didn't work. You know, it was a, there was a um, there was a time uh, towards the end of my drinking when my my brother-in-law came to visit me, and uh, and another friend, and he was really uh, he came up to do some skiing for a weekend, and he was really frustrated frustrated with me about mm-hmm. drinking in the morning, and he's like, "Whoa, you know what what is this about? Can't we wait until after we get off the slopes?" You know, yeah. I don't even he didn't even understand, and he was. You know, at one time he was a drinking partner of mine, and it was, but it was far beyond what he could have uh, could have imagined. So, um, yeah, so that was the end of that was the end of that that ride for me, and um, and uh, fortunately, I found some help after that. So, what were your? I I can imagine um, when you're struggling like that, it's got to be difficult to like hold down a job. It's got to be difficult. And really trying on your relationships. I mean, what were some of the biggest kind of impacts you were feeling in your life from the drinking? Yeah, so obviously it's very difficult to hold down a job. Um, I I was fortunate enough that the that my partner in this truck that we drove at night uh, was sober, and um, he was a friend of mine, and uh, he kind of carried carried me along for. for um, the, the last six, eight, ten months and, uh, did most of the heavy lifting during that period of time. So I was fortunate in that way, but I had, I needed to have a, uh, I had a commercial driver's license. So I needed to have a medical card that goes along with that driver's license. And, uh, I went in for a physical that I couldn't pass. So, um, I don't know if, I can still remember what my blood pressure was. I I told the nurse that my blood pressure is is occasionally high when I go to the doctors, but uh, it was high for other reasons. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that it was high was that I, the appointment was in the morning, and I hadn't had anything to drink overnight, so I was in a mm-hmm. a, a state of detox from the alcohol. And um, she said, "Don't worry if your blood pressure is a little bit high. We will." Um, uh, we'll give you a temporary card if it's high. You can go see your doctor and uh, get that worked out, and you'll you'll still be able to to work and keep your license. So uh, she took my blood pressure. It was two ten over one forty, and she she um, she took back her words about giving me a temporary card at that time. <laughs> she didn't know if I would have a stroke. Uh, I mean, wow. I, I think that's wow. that's pretty dangerous having blood pressure that high. So, um, so I, you know, now I'm becoming un- unemployable. Uh, you know, my drinking was taking me to the to the point where I was no longer going to be employed, and I didn't have a doctor to go see because I avoided doctors. Um, I didn't, you know, they they could get in the way of of, um, of my lifestyle. So I, mm-hmm. I I didn't didn't even have that to fall back on. So mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, I was really starting to find. If re- I was realizing that that the game was going to end at some point soon and uh, being, uh, being completely unemployable would, would have just made things worse. So. And were you married while all this was going on? No. Um, I was married many years before and, um, and uh, a few years after my daughter was born, um, I ruined that marriage. And um, you know, that, that was, that had a lot to do with my lifestyle and mm-hmm. I take responsibility for it. So, um, 
yeah, I put them through some difficult times, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it was that, were you able to maintain a relationship with your daughter uh, while you were struggling with alcohol? Uh, I, I, I struggled. I think I struggled to maintain a relationship. I mean, I, I've always had a good relationship with my daughter, but, but when I was, she got, she was 12 years old when I got sober and, um, before I got sober, I was not a responsible person. So there was no way I could be a responsible dad. And, um, so I did maintain a relationship with her because we have a loving bond, but it was not a responsible one from my side. Uh, once I got sober, um, that changed. Well, that's good to hear. Um, so, so tell me about getting sober. I mean, uh, the, the, the picture you paint there, uh, is obviously one of a lot of struggle or a lot of pain. I mean, I know that um, it's a really interesting to me to hear that you kind of knew that this was not sustainable. And I don't know if that's like a, a common um, thing among uh, alcoholics or not, but it's interesting to me that you kind of realized you were in this thing and this was not going to end well and it, you, you somehow needed to get out of it. I'm curious if there was like one moment that was a turning point or how that how that turning point happened and, and and how you started on the road to recovery yeah so there were a few different things that happened um right around the same time so um the i was afraid that i was not gonna, going to be able to maintain my driver's license because i couldn't get that medical card um my uh living situation um, and, um, the relationship ship that I was in, uh, with my girlfriend was not going well. They never do when there is that type of, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't think they do anyway. I can't <laughs> imagine they would, but, um, with that type of behavior from me, of course that would, that, um, that was not, uh, that was not helpful to our relationship. And, um, the, the, Another thing was, I remember having a phone call with my mother and um, my family was upset with me because, uh, for good reason, um, because I was, uh, um, you know, I was an a, adult, but, uh, but I was um, a dependent of theirs. And, uh, you know, every time I got into a jackpot financially or, or physically, um, they were the ones that, uh, paid the price for that. And they were, my mother was very frustrated. I think other members of my family were frustrated. And, uh, I remember having a conversation with mom and she said, she started the conversation by saying, Louie, I love you, but, and then, and I just thought, Whoa, Whoa, there's a butt in here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, she was honest with me about the way she felt. I don't even know if she still remembers that conversation, but I, but I, I remember parts of it. And, uh, you know, I knew the game was up there too. I knew that, um, that, that I was going to sink or swim, but, but my problems were not going to be theirs anymore. She, my mother made that clear. So, um, so yeah, those things came together and the la really the last piece of the puzzle was the pa the the driver of the truck that I was in night after night was sober. And um 
he was a uh, drinking partner of mine. I'd known him for a long time. And, uh, you know, I was floored that he could live a life. He, he and his wife were both sober. I was floored that, that they didn't need uh, alcohol anymore. And I, I knew how they drank. So uh, that gave me a little bit of hope. And I, uh, we, had, we had conversations night after night about uh, recovery, about uh, alcoholism, about uh, 12 steps, uh, 12 step program about specific steps about his his um, uh, sober time about the things in his life that were that were coming together he bought a house and uh, um, they he had a couple dogs now and um, you know he was really starting to get things together and I admired that about him so um, there was a curiosity that I had and um, so all of those things, maybe those four or five things that were happening in my life, converged at the same time, and um, and that was really what made uh, that was really what opened the door for me. Hmm. So what was that kind of first step? I mean, did you go into AA or did you kind of do it solo or? How does that work? And I'm and I'm kind of curious. So, congratulations! I understand you celebrated uh, 20 years of sobriety last year. So that's uh, a really great accomplishment coming from where you came from. So, um, kudos to you for for that accomplishment, that, among your many other accomplishments. But that's, I would imagine, that's probably the the top one um, for you. Um, but but I guess how did you do it? How did you do it over that over the last 20 years? And uh, curious if there was specific programs or practices or protocols that you had to follow to to adhere to sobriety so um when you you know when you mention the length of time that i've been sober my eyes just start welling up with tears uh, yeah i mean i mean that 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 i mean that what a gift you know what a gift um i uh I couldn't even say that as I was coming up to my anniversary, to my 20th anniversary. I couldn't even speak that to people. Wow. Yeah. It was so that powerful. emotional for me. Yeah. Um, so obviously I'm grateful. And uh, just, just recently I heard that um, my closest drinking partner passed away. Just recently mm. heard that. And... When I got sober, I tried to talk him in. He he was like a brother to me. He um, he uh, taught me everything I know about carpentry work and uh, and about life really. But um, but I tried to to talk him onto this side, and and it didn't happen. And uh, he was probably a couple years older than I am, and and um, just just ran out of time because he because he lived such a hard lifestyle. So. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention that um, while while he was on my mind, uh, the the probably the the reason that I'm so emotional about my uh, this stretch of sobriety that I've been gifted is um, is because there are so many people that aren't as fortunate as I am. So maybe that's why it brings out such emotion for me. Mm-hmm. Um, to get back to the question. Uh, my friend and his wife, my sober friend that, that was driving the truck with me and his wife invited me to, no, they were celebrating their three-year anniversary. 
and uh, they had they got sober the same day. And I asked them if I could come to the meeting to to an AA meeting, the twelve step meeting, and um, just to support them for on their on their anniversary. And and it was a good way. I, I felt safe going into that room, like nobody's gonna. You know, it, I'm not going there for me. I'm going for somebody else. But but I can still mm. I can still walk through the door and and kind of mm. check it out, I guess. And uh, I went to that meeting with them and saw all of the um, all of the you know the joy and the the the, the life that was in that room. And uh, it didn't look like anything. Uh, it didn't look anything like the, the drudgery that I was living through. And um, uh, I, I, it made an impact on me just from going into that, just from going to that meeting and watching them um, celebrate and meeting a couple people. I stood in the background and drank a cup of coffee in the background and um, talked to a couple people on the sidelines, but I didn't get right into the mix of it and and uh, but it did make an impression on me, another impression. And uh, two weeks later, two weeks after that, that after their anniversary or a week after, I asked them if I could, if they would take me to the meeting. I told them I needed needed help. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they knew they they knew they probably knew before I did that I needed help. But um, I t- you know it was coming to an end. So I I asked them if they would take me to that meeting and. Um, we made plans to go and I didn't show up because I couldn't show up. I couldn't mm. show up for really couldn't show up for much back then. So, mm. um, so I, I, I never showed up at their house like we had planned. And, uh, um, then we made plans for the next week for the following week. And, um, my friend's wife is a, a, a very good cook and, uh, I'm Italian, so she decided she would uh, put a plate of lasagna into play. <laughs> very smart, very smart way to get you to do it. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. So, uh, so I showed up for the lasagna, and I was sick. I was very sick that day, and and I and I laid on their couch uh, before dinner or after dinner, and I didn't think they were gonna they were gonna make me go because I was so sick. And uh, kind of probably detoxing, and um, they weren't having it. His wife was just as uh, just as tough as she was a good cook. So I ended up in the car and and got to the meeting, and um, you know, I, they, everybody in that meeting welcomed me, and and I didn't know how they knew that I was a newcomer, but um, you know, back then my my skin had a tone of yellow to it, and. Uh, probably smelled like piss and mm. stale beer, and so somebody who's been through it couldn't recognize. Yeah, somebody who's they going could, they could it. recognize yeah. it exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, I made it to that meeting, and um, I uh, learned a few things there, and uh, decided that I wouldn't drink the next day, and started putting a couple days together, and I haven't had a drink since that day. Since that meeting. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, that's a great story. Uh, I'm psyched that your friend's wife was such a good cook that uh, <laughs> helped the cause. Yeah, that definitely helps the cause. Yeah. Um, so along the way, uh, 
is that, well, here, here's a question for you. And this is just me being naive about uh, what it's like to go through recovery. But do you feel like, and, and over the last 20 years, has it felt to you like this is a new struggle every day or after a certain amount of time, are you, do you, do you feel like I beat this thing? Um, how does that, how do you think about that? That's a great question, Greg. And, um, it, in a way it is, um, it's constantly changing, but not necessarily a struggle, I would say. So in the beginning that probably the first year of my sobriety, everything was a struggle, everything, mm-hmm. because, because my life was designed around yeah. alcohol. There was always alcohol, whatever I was doing, there was alcohol. Yep. Yeah. And um, I'm sure your social circle was constructed around alcohol. All your places that you probably were visiting on a regular basis was alcohol was involved. Right. So it's like you're in, you almost need to change your environment to to uh, to change this habit. Yeah, that's exactly right. The um, the, the people that I hung around with, the things that I did, the 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 um the the places that i went the my daily routine morning or evening whatever it was um it was it had been established and um the common denominator there was alcohol so um so so for so for a period of time that all has to be untangled you know um what do i do when i come home from work now um, what's my routine going to be? What, uh, what is, um, uh, when I go to, when I go out to dinner with friends, when I go home to see my family, when I, when, uh, when Christmas comes around, when New Year's comes around, what do I do? These are all new experiences. Uh, so I needed to, so in the beginning, the struggle was, um, working my way around the calendar year without alcohol showing up for me at any one of these events, you know, working my way around, um, the weekend without alcohol being a part of my routine, working my way through, um, my daily life without it. So it's a, it was a huge struggle in that way. Um, so, so the first, once I got through the first year, I, I felt like, um, okay, so I, so I know that there is not a date on the calendar that's going to cause me to drink. I know that, I know that, mm-hmm. um, after that, there yeah, were that, some, and that can be tough for people, right? Like when, especially, um, you know, cert- lapping dates on calendars, like when a parent passed away and stuff like that, like people really circle those days and, on the calendar and almost like dread those days. So that, that's really interesting to hear that getting through that first year helped. Exactly. That's right. Getting through that first year helped for exactly that reason. Um, so, so I, it, I built some confidence from doing that, from getting through those situations without, without the need to pick up. And then, um, but, but I was, I was really vigilant and I, uh, stuck with a very, uh, very strict program, and I stayed very close to uh, my sober friends, and I did a lot of service work. Uh, I went to the, uh, I used to sponsor guys that were incarcerated, and um, that, that was a huge help for me, uh, because 
seeing the um, seeing the destruction that their alcoholism has caused on their families uh, is important is an important reminder for me. And, and anytime I show up at the jail and they they let me in the locked doors and then I spend some time and they let me back out. Uh, it's a, you know, it's an excellent reminder of, of um, the devastation that, that our families go through uh, from, from our behavior like that. So, or, or our disease, I should say. Um, so I, so I stayed very close to that in that way for the next five years, seven years, 10 years. Um, and then, um, there was a, there was, um, uh, there was a death in my family at the 10 year mark. My sister passed away at the 10 year mark at my 10 year mark. And, um, I survived that without picking up a drink. That was devastating to, to me and to my family, obviously. And, um, and I didn't have to pick up a drink over it, you know, and, and I'm from a big Italian family and, and, and there's always, you know, celebrations, of weddings and, and funerals. There's a lot of alcohol around. And um, I realized at that point, after 10 years uh, and after that, after, that, um, after that event in my life, that if I didn't have to pick up for that, there's, not, there's no reason that I would, have, that I would ever have mm -hmm. to pick up. And since then, my nephew passed away and my father passed away. And... Uh, I've approached it the same way. I mean, I felt all of my feelings, every single feeling that mm -hmm. came down the pike in the past 20 years, good, bad, or indifferent. I had, I had to experience them. So, um, you know, some, some, when I was, when I, before I got sober, I, um, I drank over a bad day at work, you know, I drank over a good day at work, you know, um, I drank over, uh, plenty of bad things, plenty of things that I thought were bad and that, that I needed to escape those feelings for. And, uh, the truth is I didn't need to escape those feelings or, I don't, or today I don't need to escape them anyway. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that was a good question. Um, did you have, did you, were there any days over that 20 year span where you were really close to drinking? Was, uh, I don't know if it was the ones you've already mentioned, but did, did you have any really close calls days where you really felt like you just hung on by by a thread? No, not really. Um, there was a time. Well, yeah, I, I, let me take that back. The first year, yes, there were some times. So um, I was a few months into my sobriety, and um, I so in the beginning of my so when I when I stopped drinking. Really, all I wanted was to stop vomiting. I vomited every day for for a period of time. Wow! And that, and I just wanted to. I just didn't want to be sick anymore. And um, so, after the first week, uh, the first week was a struggle for me. I didn't go to any facility to to uh, to detox. I did that on my own, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend. But that's just the path that I took. Um, after that first week, I started feeling great because I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't physically ill. And, um, you know, two weeks, a month, I was feeling really, really good. Um, but what happened was two months down the road or a period of time down the road, I, I took a look at the chaos that I had created in my life 
with my family, um, with my finances, um, with my job, with my health. Um, I started to see the the damage that I had that I had created, mm-hmm. and um, it just scared me to face it. And I didn't really know how to deal with that. So, um, so I asked my friend John uh, for some help, and he um, he recommended that I. Um, he said, John said to me. John asked me if I believed in God, and I told him that I that I did that I really didn't uh, have a connection with God anymore. And he he told me that he believed, and um, his way of approaching issues like the one that I described was to um, to hand it over and trust that God will take care of it. And if I didn't have a belief in God, just believe that He believed. And that that would be okay for now. So um, so he recommended that I go home and I get on my knees and I ask and I humbly ask God to remove um, to watch over me and to to remove uh, the obsession to drink. And that's what I did. And uh, so I, I got home and I lived in a, bar, a basement apartment at the time. At, and I went into a a, a um, a, a room that had no windows. I couldn't take, for some reason, I couldn't take a chance that somebody would see me. I, I remember what I was thinking that, you know, mm. I was so self-conscious about the the whole the whole situation. But I, I went into uh, this room with no windows, uh, got down on my knees, and I, I, I said, I don't know if there's anybody or anything that can hear me, but I need some help. I need some relief. And um, please help me stay sober for another day. And then, and, and literally, it took me a minute. And then I carried on with my day, and uh, I started doing that regularly, and I started to get relief. So, um, so to answer your question, whether or not there were times that I was um, worried I was going to pick up a drink, there were a couple times, and that was the solution that I that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, for many, many years, I have not had the urge to drink for many years uh, because I, I'm very clear about what, where that will take me. Very, very clear. And uh, whatever I'm dealing with now is, is uh, not an issue compared to the issues I would create if I picked up a drink. Yeah, yeah. That's really powerful. Um, I think that the concept of sort of... Um, almost like surrendering yourself to something bigger than you and whether or not you are someone who believes in God or somebody who believes in, you know, just something, some bigger force in the universe or something, but just realizing how small and vulnerable we are um, in some ways it seems can almost have the reverse effect in, in, in some ways like give you um, power or some relief or, some kind of help that you um, needed and help to to clear the path for you in terms of what you needed. So um, I appreciate you sharing that um, with me. You're making me tear up a little bit <laughs> with that with that one, Louis. Um, well, I'll, listen, I want to get into talking about fitness and, and everything <laughs> because you've done some incredible stuff there. But let me just 
close out this portion of the conversation, I, I want to make sure to do service to anybody who is struggling, who might find this podcast and who might listen to it themselves. And I think hearing your story is really encouraging for, for someone going through that. Um, but I just want to ask you, ask you explicitly, um, to somebody out there who might be struggling with alcohol or drugs or some other addiction, uh, where would you recommend they start? Like what is a first step that they could take, um, on that road to recovery? What would you recommend there? Well, I get this question often in my, in my DMS uh, on Twitter. Mm. And, um, I can only recommend what I know and what worked for me. So that recommendation is that, um, that people go to uh, a 12 step meeting, an AA meeting, an NA meeting and ask for help. There are plenty of, um, there's plenty of experience inside of that meeting. There are plenty of people that can help us when we walk through those doors. Often I will recommend that to people and they'll push back on me because, um, because that is definitely not the easier, softer way. Go walking into an, an AA meeting, introducing yourself for the first time to people, um, being the new person is very, very intimidating. It's very mm. intimidating to anybody that has to do it or that, 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 that does it. Um, but it works. It works if, 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 um, you know, if, if, if you're as desperate as I was, it, mm-hmm. that's a system mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. Um, I had to take some suggestions when I went there nobody likes to be told what to do, but, um, but I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So if I continued to try to control my drinking or to try to figure out my problem with with my head that was already screwed up, I, I would I, I, I couldn't I wouldn't be able to get there. So that's that's my recommendation to a lot of people um, is to um, to find an AA meeting and and to walk in the door and just ask for help, follow some some suggestions, and um, yeah. There's a there's a whole there's a whole new world out there if people are willing to do the work. The problem is there's not an easy there's not an easy way to do it. There's no mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's no solution that says um, that I know of anyway that says um, here just read this book and you'll be fine. Here just do this exercise and you'll be fine. Here take this pill and you'll be fine. You know this is a complete life change that needs to happen. So um, that's the starting point as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's great advice from somebody who's gone through it and has uh, a really uh, great perspective on that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about fitness. So uh, put comment on this however you want, but I recently read on Twitter – uh, that you wake up at 3.15 a.m. in the morning. First of all, I want to know if that's true. 
but let's get talking about fitness. And so uh, I want to hear about how you found your way into fitness and all the stuff you're doing now in terms of ultra marathons and all that kind of stuff. But let's start with, well, you take, start with, start wherever you want with that. That's, that's, the, that's what I'm hoping to uh, learn about. All right, cool. Uh, so the 3.15 a.m. is true, but uh, only on the weekdays. And okay. uh, on the weekends, that, first of all, you, that makes me tired just to think about it. But I also have three little kids running around here. So yeah. carry on. Yeah. But our lifestyles at this point are a little bit different, Greg, because uh, if I had three, three little ones running around, I, I, I couldn't design my day the way I wanted. They would be the ones designing my day. So. Yeah, that, that's true. Yep. Yeah. So I, I understand where you're coming from. But um, my uh, my I get out of bed at three fifteen. 3.20 at the latest, every weekday morning. And um, the, the, the reason for that is because I have this, this morning routine that I just love. And uh, it's my favorite time of the day. And I have to be in work. at I'm supposed to be in work at 6.45. I, I get there often by 7. Uh, mm-hmm. But between 3.15 and uh, 7 a.m., I have a, a routine that includes... Um, having some quiet time with my coffee, water, breath work, a little bit of meditation in the morning. Uh, I do some journaling or some writing. Uh, sometimes I try to do some journaling, but sometimes that writing just turns into um, some ideas for tweets. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit more extensive than that. And then I get on to my training, whatever my workout is, and um, shower and then off to work. So I need this period of time to be able to do that. And by the way, I go to bed at 7.15 every night. Mm. So mm. Unless I have an evening workout, then sometimes it's a little later. I'm kind, I'm kind of jealous about the 7.15. I'm not jealous about the 3.15 now. <laughs> but uh, okay, so that's quite a routine. Um, so that that's obviously a lot of stuff you're going through. Um, uh, so it'd be interesting to hear a little more about about that and some of the specifics. Um, on the writing side, that's really interesting. I have taken inspiration from some folks like uh, Dickie Bush, uh, who is a podcast guest recently, and others around the power of writing every day. And um, so one of my goals in 2023 is to write for 30 minutes every day. And so it sounds like a, it's actually a little bit similar to you in terms of how that's uh, actually starting to manifest. Like some days I will sit down and I will have a lot on my mind and I'll just be like, I'll just brain dump. Here's all the stuff I'm stressed about right now and just brain, just get it out of my brain, right? Onto some, onto a piece of paper. Um, that's one way. Another way I was like, I'm like, you know, I got five tweet ideas in my head or a thread idea in my head or something like that. And I just get that down on paper. But like the discipline for me is just to do the, the 30 minutes. So what are you thinking with the, with the writing? What are you trying to accomplish there? Well, I have a few different a few different uh, things that I'm working on with writing. I uh, started writing my story into a book, and oh, cool. yeah, yeah, and it, it is pretty cool. But I, I um, and I was really enjoying it last year. I I would sit down and on a Saturday or Sunday, <clears throat> and I could sit there for an hour, an hour and a half, and just just put information down on the paper, like like th- like like parts of my story from my past and and it was really mm-hmm. i really had a fun time with it and then uh you know it started growing and now now um i have all <laughs> have all these 
like literally pen to paper is the way I write. So wow. I have all these papers that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm, there are notebooks that I'm trying to organize. I'm trying to take it to the next step. So there's that. And um, I also have a journal and I, I like to write daily in my journal, but um, I'm not as disciplined with that. And I really want to be more disciplined. I would love to, um, to have like a, a, a hard start time, a half hour to write. I, I should probably try to add that into my, uh, to my morning routine, but the, my writing sometimes gets, um, gets kind of, uh, overlapped by my breath work and then my training. So, so mm -hmm. if I have this block of time, my breath work may go a little bit long and then my training may start a little bit early. So I may cut out the, 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 um, the, uh, some of my right. I, I, I'm pretty sure I just need to start waking up earlier, I guess. I don't know about that. You, there's not, there's not a whole lot earlier you can get up. Um, okay. What about the breath work though? That, that's, that's, so I don't do anything that you could really call breath work. I try to do a little bit of meditation here and there. I'm pretty bad about sticking to that routine. I just, I just interviewed, um, Dennis Martin, who is uh, a Peloton instructor, and he was getting into breath work a little bit with me. He was telling me about a book he recently read called, I think it's called Breathe, maybe, um, uh, that was had a real impact on him. But but what what have, what are you doing there, and where did you learn about that? Yeah, I read that same book, Breathe. I think Nestor, if I'm not mistaken, is the author. Okay, I think. that sounds right. Um, so I read that same book, and... Uh, I, I'm interested in breath work for a number of reasons. Um, one is because I'm an athlete and um, breathing is pretty important to endurance sports. So that's the first, that's one thing. The, the second reason is because of the calm that it brings me. I, a couple of years ago, I, was I had a very stressful time in my work life, which is that's no longer the case. Uh, at work, but um, two years ago, it was very, very stressful. I mean, we all know what was going around, going on in the country and mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. struggles that, that we as um, employees had. And uh, so, so anyway, um, I started doing breath work a couple, a couple years ago, just to, um, to promote some calm in my life. I did it in the morning before work and I did it in the evening after work. And uh, I started feeling like I was sleeping better from doing it. And um, then I got into some nasal breathing while I was sleeping. And I learned mm -hmm. to breathe through my nose while I'm, while I'm sleeping, which is very, very important because um, breathing through your nose, uh, nasal breathing promotes, um, promotes the parasympathetic side of the um, autonomic nervous system. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but um, sounds right to stimulate. me. Sounds right to me. Stimulates yeah. it anyway. And, yep. Um, yep. and my speech is great. Basically, the calming, calming part of your nervous system. Yes, exactly. That's that's what yeah. I'm getting getting at. So um, yeah, so I started uh, working there with my breath. But the, my morning breath routine either. Um, either I do some box breathing, so four on the inhale, the count of four on the inhale, hold of four, count of four on the exhale, hold of four, and repeat. And I have... Is that in through the nose and out through the mouth? Um, 
If I'm doing that type of breathing, a lot of times I do in through the nose and out through the nose. Okay. It's very, it's very, um, it's not like an intense Wim Hof type of breathing. Mm-hmm. So I just, I do it very easily. And I, I, I'm also hooked to uh, a chest uh, strap heart rate monitor and linked to an app. And uh, so I can see what my, um, my HRV is and my mm-hmm. heart rate at the same time. Which app are you using for that? It's called um, E uh, Elite HRV, I think. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, so I, I either do that type of breath work or I, I do some Wim Hof. I've been getting back into the Wim Hof breath work. I really like it. Um, it's a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit more intense uh, in the morning, but but I really, really. I really feel good from doing it. So, um, yeah, so those are the types of breath work that I get into. But every day I do some type of breath, breath work. That's cool. And and so did you, was it that book, Breathe, that got you into it? Or, or did, were you following somebody else? Or I'm just wondering if there's like a resource that I can point people to, including myself, because I want to learn more about this. Yeah, the the book Breathe is, is I think, really, really started it for me. It, there's some great, great information in that book. Hmm. Okay, cool. I'm going to check that out because yeah. um, you're like the third person I've talked to who has been talking about this. And uh, well, one person I was talking to, I think it might have been Dickie Bush was saying he was he struggled with meditation. And but he found that um, breath work was really helpful and he noticed some real benefits um, in his HRV and other um, metrics. So it sounds like there's really something to it. So I'd like to personally learn more about it. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Dickie on that one. I think that uh, the the the, um, the breath work has helped my meditation. Also, I couldn't just sit quietly until I started, you know, listening to my breath and just and then all of a sudden I would calm a little bit. So I'm in agreement with Dickie on that. Cool. Okay, so let's talk about the training. So um, I I might back up just a little bit, and it'd be it'd be interesting to hear when you really got serious about fitness and endurance sports and then how you started uh down that path because i'm also interested for myself i've been sort of just experimenting recently with some zone two training i kind of have recently realized that i've probably been doing cardio wrong for the last 20 plus years of my life and not ever really building a solid um aerobic uh base and so now i'm really focused on I kind of over the next year really trying to get a lot of good long runs and long cycling sessions in at a, at a lower <clears throat> heart rate. Um, but, but, but how did you get into all of this? And then let's talk about where you're taking it. Cause it sounds to me like you're doing some pretty impressive stuff, especially, um, especially for uh, 58 years old. Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, we all, many of us make that mistake, uh, Greg, with, um, pushing too hard, um, and being outside of our, um, you know, our aerobic space while we're trying to build an aerobic base kind of. So, um, yeah, I had my coach, Ryan Dreyer had to slow me down on that one too. I had been running for a long time and he, he kind of, uh, did a hard reset with me. So, Mm, mm. so don't feel bad about that. That's, that's part Mm -hmm. of our, that's part of our, uh, learning. Um, so, so my, my, uh, training, started before I got sober. Um, I, 
I, um, I had always wanted to be an athlete probably because my mother was a marathon runner in the 70s and my father was a competitive cyclist back then also. So uh, we would go to races together and, um, you know, big races, uh, New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, um, and uh, some, some bikes, bicycling races around, uh, around our area. So, so I, I kind of grew up um, in that environment. The, my main focus as I was growing up was always uh, the party or the alcohol. So I was never able to establish myself very well as an athlete um, back then. But it, but it was in my blood, and literally and figuratively, it was in my blood. And um, so um, before I got sober, probably five years before I got sober, a friend of mine opened a karate dojo. And um, he uh, asked me if I wanted to join. And I, I, uh, I was one of the first students there. So I, would, I trained kind of... Um, sporadically i had a fairly consistent run there because he was such a close friend that um that we we had you know he would help me get there i guess uh five four three years before i got sober and uh so i probably trained uh two to three times a week back then and um i became the senior student there um and I, um, you know, I learned some discipline. So when I started training, I I remember this battle in my head. Should I go tonight? Shouldn't I go tonight? I just got out of work. I I, Mm -hmm. I have other things I'd rather do. Maybe I just drink. Maybe, you know, this battle that goes on that that, um, to make a stupid decision about am I going to train tonight or not? Mm -hmm. You know, here's this, this... half hour or I'm going back and forth an hour and who knows how it's going to end up if I'm, if I'm battling with, with myself, sometimes I go, sometimes I don't go. So, um, so anyway, I had that type of, um, training going on before I got sober. Uh, I, like I said, I was the senior student at the dojo. There were, um, there were eight of us that were, um, rank of EQ, which is one, one promotion away from first don first degree black belt and i was the senior student student so i was at the front of the line um this is kind of i'll 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 show you where this comes into my story so um i continued to train as long as i could but the last six months to a year i couldn't even show up so um so i uh, as i was getting more and more sick i did less and less physical activity and um, uh, to the point where I never even, I I, I just stopped training altogether. Uh, Probably six months before I got sober, nine months before I got sober, I I didn't train at all. So uh, after I got sober, I I knew that I needed to, um, to live a healthier lifestyle and um, all around healthier lifestyle. And I needed some type of training. So I, I went back to the dojo and started training again, but I was no longer the senior student because that group of seven that was left in that line tested for black belt while I was gone. Hmm. So now with a nice serving of humble pie, 
<laughs> I moved myself down the line seven or eight spots, whatever it was, and I was still at rank EQ, and there were seven new black belts on the deck. So that was a very... Um, it was a very good experience for me because it, it kind of right-sized me at, at the time. Look, you know, I'm, I'm coming into this new place in my life and I don't get to start in the front of the line. I got, a, I got, I got some dues to pay. Mm. Um, and it also motivated me to train hard. So, um, so I started training more regularly when I, in, in the beginning of my sobriety, I started training four days a week, easily four days a week. And, um, would you say that you channeled, was that, did you channel your energy or even just your free time that you would have been using drinking into fitness? So it was like, was this like replacing a really bad habit with a healthy habit or is that too simplistic of a way to think about it? No, that's a reasonable way to think about it. Yes. So I, I had time and uh, I had energy <clears throat> and um, I felt the need to, uh, to focus on my, my health and my fitness. So it, it fell right into place for me. And I didn't have the distraction of, um, of drinking anymore. And, um, but I still had that voice in my head that said, you know, after a long day's work, do I want to go to, uh, to the dojo and, and, uh, and train or before a long day's work at that time? I'm not sure if I was working third shift at the time still. But um, I still had that voice in my head, and I, and, it, and I was conscious of this voice, and I thought to myself, I need to get rid of this voice. Somehow, if I'm going to really be successful, this voice cannot be letting, I can't be questioned by this voice anymore. So over a period of time, I was able to silence it, and my training continued to be, become more and more consistent, and... I would just show up without thought there, there. And eventually that voice was completely gone. And, um, I trained more consistently than anybody and everybody in the dojo. And after a period of, of, uh, 10 years, I reached the rank of fourth Don fourth degree black belt. I was the first student to reach the rank of fourth, fourth Don. So I reclaimed that spot of uh, senior student over over the period of about a decade um so i i and i and it was something that i really wanted for me i felt like i felt like um it would make me uh you know it would it would it, it it could erase some of the um the loss that i created if I can, if I can climb myself back to that spot. So mm -hmm. during, at the dojo, I learned consistency, dedication, commitment. Um, and I haven't trained at the dojo. I stopped training at the dojo when I became a, uh, an endurance athlete. And that was about <clears throat> 11 years ago. But everything that I learned there transferred to this, this, life that I have now. And I, that, and that's where my discipline comes from. I never question my training four days a week. My, my coach has me, uh, currently training, uh, twice a day for, for four of my, my days. And I don't even question it. I come home, I 
train in the morning, work a 10 hour day, come home and just start changing into my training, my workout clothes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was the, the, the karate dojo was the beginning and it was a really good foundation for me. So I have, I have this philosophy that's, um, relying on willpower is kind of a tough game to play and it's much better to basically set up your systems and environment so that you can almost be on autopilot and the more of those daily decisions that you can remove from the equation, uh, the greater chance of success that you have. Um, so I, I've implemented this <clears throat> system recently on where on every Sunday. So we're recording this today on a Sunday. So a couple hours ago, I just did this uh, where every Sunday I spend about a half hour and I go through the upcoming week and I say, okay, I want to do three zone two workouts. I want to do a hit workout. I want to do a couple of strength workouts. I need, um, I need one day where I'm going to mainly rest and do some stretching and stuff like that. That's kind of my week. So on Sundays, I'm putting that all in the calendar. And of course, as we already mentioned, I got three little kids. I've got full-time job, lots of responsibilities. A lot of people want my time. Uh, and what I do is, you know, set this out. So not only workouts, but I'm also putting in, when am I going to do this podcast? When am I going to edit this? What am I going to do? Right. It all gets put in. And so on Monday mornings, it's just go time. And it's not, should I work out time or should I, do I really have time to dedicate to the podcast today time? It's like, nope, this is planned. I just need to execute now. Um, would you say that you're doing something similar with the, it sounds like you have a, you have a coach helping you out, which sounds like a cheat code to me almost. I think I need a coach. Um, but, but is that, would you agree with that philosophy? I guess. Absolutely. That's right on, you know, um, <clears throat> autopilot. A lot of, a lot of my life I live on, on, uh, on autopilot because I need to, um, I need to go from, from, um, uh, one, one part of my system to the next. I, that's, that's what I do for my health, my nutrition, like Sundays for me, I'm on autopilot. Also, I, I do meal prep, uh, for a couple hours and then, mm. you know, I, I don't, I don't think, well, what should I, what should I make? Should I, should I worry about my lunches this week? No, the Sunday is meal prep, is meal yeah. prep day. Um, autopilot is, uh, something that a martial artist is very, very familiar with because, uh, if you, uh, th that's that's the way we train our bodies. So if if you go to throw a punch at a uh, at the nose of somebody who's been uh, training in uh, karate for a decade or two, the natural reaction is to block it, and they, there's no thought. It's all autopilot. So mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's healthy for um, for people to. Uh, for the average person just to walk around on autopilot and not make any considerations of how they're living their lives because that also happens. But for somebody who has a system set up like you do and like I do, it's very helpful. Uh, Ryan, my coach Ryan, um, who, by the way, would be happy to help you out if, um, if, if that's what you were looking for, uh, he, he – sets my plan a week in advance and I just, I check it out and I see what I have going on there and I just follow along. Pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I sort of 
um, have become a real creature of habit and routine. And I think there, there's this, um, idea that, oh, you're like a, a slave to the system or whatever. When, if you have, if you adhere really closely to a routine, I actually have come to believe it's the opposite. So, um, when I don't have a structure in place, um, I find that I can sort of go whichever way the wind blows. And so this happens and, oh, I get tied up in this and now, uh, that takes over my whole day and, you know, like, uh, go down this path and get involved with this. And then all of a sudden I didn't get to do all the stuff that was important to me. So I, yeah, I kind of like the idea of it's, I don't know, this is a little cheesy, but it's like a li- living a little bit more intentionally and being like, okay, here's the things that are important to me. Like I want to get to the end of this week and have accomplished this, 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 and this, uh, a lot of other stuff's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of fire drills. I already know that. But like these are to me are the non-negotiables, and um, so yeah, that's that's yeah. that's we so far it's working okay for for me. But uh, yeah, I, I've I feel pretty good about that. At the end of the week, I'm like, yeah, and I feel actually less stressed having a system like that. Like on Sundays, I'm like, oh my god, I have all this stuff coming up. But then it's once I get it in a calendar, I'm like, okay. Like that's out of my brain now and on paper and now it's like execute time and I feel much better about it. Yeah. That I think, I think our lives in that way are very similar. Yeah. Works for me too. Yeah. Um, okay. So on the endurance training and, uh, so, so tell me what, tell me just a little bit more about what that, what that's like. So, um, how, you know, maybe what that looks like for you today. I've mentioned a couple of times that you're doing some, you know, really impressive stuff in terms of, um, you know, ultra marathons and stuff like that. But what, what does that look like for you today? And how is it being uh, a 58 year old accomplishing all these uh, really cool athletic feats? So, um, yeah, so my, so <clears throat> I started running because, um, because I was sparring with some young guys and, um, <clears throat> And I, I thought that if I if I could control my my breathing and my wind, and and my cardio was better, that I would that I would be able to hang in there a, a, a little bit longer, and I would find advantage there. So I so while I was training in the martial arts, um, I decided that I would uh, start running, and um, eventually, and, and I had this hate hate relationship with running just hated it there was no love there at all it was just it was just a grind and um i started uh started off a mile or two or and um eventually i i i decided to to run a race a 5k race and um and i i I did pretty well and i really liked it and uh then I thought to myself, what what if I could run a half marathon someday? So, um, so I started looking into that type of training, and and um, and you know, I, we've kind of established that I'm a more is better type guy. That's um, that's that's kind of the roots of my um, my addiction are right there. So I just I continued to add, and once I ran the half marathon. Uh, I set a goal for a marathon and um, then I stopped training at the dojo because um, because it was I was waking up early working a long day and I had to travel a long distance to get down there 
And so, so even though the class was only an hour and a half long, it was a, uh, another hour and a half time commitment for travel. So it was a three hour block for me. And I can train now uh, in an hour, I can get a, um, you know, a good run in just literally right out my front door. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, I started leaning more heavily on the endurance sports and, um, and resigned at my dojo. And um, then I started getting into some obstacle course racing, which is just so fun. Uh, running around like a kid splashing around in the mud. I mean, how am I, uh, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's heaven for a, mm -hmm. you know, I was mm -hmm. a 50 year old guy at the time. Um, and uh, then, then I ran a number of marathons and decided that I would, that I wanted to stretch that out to a 50 mile ultra marathon. So I had a 50 miler on the books uh, about two years ago and I had been training for it pretty hard and I ran into an issue, uh, a physical issue with my leg or my foot um, that just would not heal for me, like a muscular issue that I was having or a tendon or something. And um, that's when I called, that's when I sent a DM to Ryan, my coach. And I said, uh, I introduced myself and I told him what I was training for. And he had a couple ultra marathons under his belt. And um, I asked him if he could help me, and he redesigned, completely redesigned my training. So I was running, and I, would just, I was just logging miles, more miles, more miles, and uh, had, no, um, <clears throat> had no good um, recovery program designed. Like, I didn't follow much of a recovery program, and maybe mm -hmm. in our maybe in our 20s or 30s, we can get away with that. But uh, I was not able to get away with that in my 50s. So uh, Ryan um, completely changed my nutritional plan, my recovery, um, and, and my... So what, what, were the, what were some of those big changes look like? I'm curious, both on the nutrition and the, and the actual like training, what were some of those big changes that he implemented? So nutritionally, we went with um, a heavier um, protein diet. That's really, the, that was the first change that we made. Um, you know, I was running on carbs, a lot of carbs, and, uh, um, and not even good carbs. So, um, so we made that change. Um, also, um, my fluid intake, as far as nutritional goes, my electrolyte replacement, he, he reset for me. We came up with some good plans for that, which are important when, when I'm uh, stressing my body that much. Um, so do you actually take an electrolyte supplement or are you getting that some, some other way? Uh, I take magnesium daily mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I get my, um, I get my sodium um, potassium through an electrolyte replacement like, um, element or, or one of those, yep. one of those, yep. um, uh, that I added. Is that more. how you pronounce it? The LMNT? Yeah. LMNT. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I, uh, those guys actually just sent me a box of their, um, of their salts to, to try out. So yeah. I've been, I've been trying them the last couple of days. Yeah, They're, I love it. Man. It actually it's tastes a, pretty good. Yeah, it's a yeah. great, it's a great, it's a great product. It's got, a, I think, a thousand milligrams of sodium and uh, some other uh, electrolytes in there. It's a great, great, great product. I like it. 
Now, do you take that before, like before a run or after, or how do you time that? Nor- normally after a run. Yeah. To to replace them. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. Uh, so okay, so, so more heavier protein. Yep. Some electrolytes. Um, what about the training regimen? So what is that? What does like a typical week look like? And I'm sure it differs depending on the season and when you're training for a race and stuff like that. But give me like a sense of what maybe like a seven day week could look like. Yeah. So when I, um, before I called Ryan, I was running probably six days a week. And, um, and like you and I talked about earlier, I was, um, there was no different heart rate, uh, zones. It was just all the same thing. I would run as hard as I could any given day for, for as far as I could. Um, well, I had a distance planned, but I, you know, I would keep up the pace as much as I could for that specific distance, but I would only run, uh, that was all my training was running. Uh, so, so he said, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. You, we, you got the running down. We understand that we got, <laughs> we need to recover from the running now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Ryan put some, um, some mobility work in there for me. Um, he put, uh, he put some, um, yoga in there for me, some different types of strength training uh, and the running. And that's where we were until I ran that 50 mile ultra. We kind of stuck with a program like that. So, um, so we backed off my, uh, my weekly running distances, but we still kept a long run in there on the weekend. And, um, and we added a, uh, quite a bit of yoga and some stretching and, uh, that type of recovery to it. So and cool. that that was just until we got through that fifty miler, and then we then we redesigned the program again and again and again. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Cool. Um, is there any? Uh, are there any like hit days in there? So do you do like any high intensity stuff as part of the training? Uh, yeah. Just uh, I think it was yesterday morning. No, Friday evening. I had a run with uh, with uh, six thirty second um, intervals in it. And, and he's got all, he also has some, uh, uh, what is he? He's got some threshold runs in there for me, which are 20 minutes a piece. So it might be an hour and a half run with a, with a couple 20 minute, um, thresholds in there. So we're kind of on the off, we're kind of in the off season now. We, mm-hmm. uh, the last event that I, um, that I did was a full Ironman triathlon in November. And I was kind of cooked at that point. I was kind of burnt mm-hmm. out from all the training that I did. And, um, so we, we lightened up quite a bit until we got into, and, and, and it was kind of a, uh, honestly a free for all for that month and a half until we reached the new year. He, Ryan set the training for me during that period of time, but I, um, I did some of it and I changed some of it and I kind of, I, I needed to have some fun with it. And he told me just mm-hmm. to, to go out and, you know, do enjoy it and change it up as, as much as I could. But when we got to the new year, um, we started, uh, with a, about a seven to eight hour a week training program. And that includes, and now, so now I'm a triathlete, so I'm not just running and, um, my training. By the way, congratulations on that. Cause uh, just hearing that come out of your mouth at 58 years old and having it be a new thing for you, that's pretty cool. And it, and it gives inspiration for people like me who are, you know, in their early forties and saying, all right. This guy's uh, achieving some pretty awesome stuff, uh, you know, 14, 15 years in the future. So congrats on that. Yeah, th- thank you, man. So so what Ryan and I ended up doing was um, 
we did the we did the 50 miler about a year and a half ago and then um we i trained with him throughout the rest of the year and we set some goals to pr as many of my distances as possible and i was able to pr um had a personal best in the 5k that year personal best in the half marathon and the fastest marathon i had run in years all in the year of 2021 uh, under ryan's guidance um so uh after that uh we i was training for a hundred mile ultra marathon which was last june uh, that was the next thing we put on the calendar and um a bunch of guys were um were going to do uh panama city ironman and i jumped on on board that one so ryan got me up to speed i had done a little bit of triathlon uh before years ago but i was never much of a swimmer and um I never really trained the bike. I didn't know how to train it. So, so Ryan had all that for me and, um, yeah. And, and, and so now the month of January, what, what I'm doing for training is, uh, running four days a week, um, bike two days a week, um, swim two days a week and some strength training two days a week. But that, so that's all on my weekly calendar, but they're short, they're short, um, trainings, a lot of them. So when we get closer to any event, we'll, we'll start to stretch them out. Right now we're at about seven to eight hours a week of training and we'll double that at some point throughout the year. Mm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to say like seven to eight hours a week sounds like reasonable. Like it sounds manageable. Like I'm probably doing somewhere close to that. Yeah. Maybe not quite. Um, okay, cool. So, well, Awesome stuff, man. Hey, by the way, have you ever read um, Rich Roll's book? I think it's like Ultraman. Uh, Running Ultra? Running Ultra, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love Rich Roll. He's, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. It, your story reminds me of a little bit of his and that he um, struggled with alcoholism. And uh, I think at, at 40, had like a come to Jesus moment and turned his life around. And obviously, his. Uh, done some really pretty impressive stuff with his life uh, since then. So uh, I love I love stories like yours. Um, just shows, you. shows people it's possible. Um, well, I'll tell you what. Actually, in terms of what's possible, if you, let's say you're somebody listening to this right now, you're in your 40s, 50s, and you're kind of like, eh, I'm not really in great shape. Um, I probably drink a little bit too much. You know, these guys are talking about ultra marathons and training you know, hours and hours and hours and doing all this crazy stuff. Like that's not realistic for me. Like same question for you, I guess, uh, around, you know, giving advice to somebody who's, who's trying to, um, conquer an alcohol addiction. Like how, what, what, what would be the first step that you would take, um, for someone in that situation? So, um, if somebody came to me and wanted to, um, wanted to make some life changes, to increase their health, um, I I think we would we would probably start with whatever habit was most devastating at the time. So what I mean by that is, um, if somebody is uh, is drinking five six days a week and um, uh, and has no exercise routine and um, their nutrition is uh, can be improved quite a bit. We would probably start with the drinking, because 
it's kind of, it's useless really to get into much of an exercise routine unless unless we're going to put the first one in check. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that does you know it's very individualized because it depends how 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 much effect that drinking is having on this person. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, that's I, I I would start with the thing that's most devastating, and then and then let's get that one in check. Let's figure that one out. Let's back off of the alcohol, whatever it is. Um, get it down to a couple days a week, or completely stop whatever is necessary, and then um, we'll start with the um, with the fitness program. And and most fitness programs, uh, I my recommendation would be. Uh, walking. I think walking is a great is a great segue into uh, fitness, and it's a great way to increase fitness. Uh, it's a great segue into running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, as far as nu- as far as nutrition goes, um, many of us can make improvements in that area. And uh, just eating whole foods, uh, real food, is um, is a good place to start. A lot of people drink calories, and um, I think that's another another helpful um, avenue to to upgrade somebody's nutrition is to just cut out the sugary drinks and uh, yeah. back to the water and black coffee. Yeah, yeah, I I, I love those tips. I think that's um, you you got to get the basics right before you get advanced. And I think that you know it's funny on the alcohol front. Like I think there's a lot of people who it, you know, consume alcohol and say, uh, you know, maybe wouldn't say they have an alcohol problem. But I think one thing that's that I have kind of realized uh, the last probably year or so, probably with the help of uh, Andrew Huberman and the the, the uh, great episode he did on alcohol, is that you know uh, a relatively limited amount of alcohol can you know have a lot of downstream um, impacts. Uh, so you know, like I think about myself, like I, I, I wouldn't consider myself, you know, so I, I think I might've mentioned to you, like I've been alcohol free for maybe 150, 170 days or something like that. Congratulations. That's great. Oh, thank, thank you. I mean, it's interesting because, and I, and, you know, I think a lot of people are waking up to this and saying, okay, I'm not somebody, I didn't have the same type of struggle that someone like you faced, right? And, it was just more a social drinker and stuff like that. But if I really took a look at it and be like, okay, yeah, well, there's a lot of weekend mornings where, you know, I don't know, was I hungover or was I, I was probably, you know, not in a great mood and kind of grumpy with my kids and I wasn't working out. And like, I just feel like there's all these habits that, well, well let me put it this way. If you make one positive change like that, then the other positive changes kind of have the space to start stacking up. Alcohol exactly. is such an yeah, alcohol is such an obvious one, right? Because it crushes, it can crush your energy and your mood, and it can have you, um, you know, making bad decisions with your nutrition and this and that. And so that, that's an obvious one. But you know, on, on that front, I'm curious uh, that I, you know the kind of quitting alcohol has almost become like fashionable these days. And, you know, everybody's doing dry January and you're, you're seeing, um, you know, actually I, I interviewed the, um, the CEO of athletic brewing company, which is the biggest, 
uh, non-alcoholic uh, brewer in the in the U.S. I'm personally like actually really enjoying those um, beverages. Like they're interesting. They're they're they've been a nice way for me to stop consuming alcohol, but to keep like socializing and stuff. But I'm curious, kind of like, what's your take on that? Because that that is almost like a I don't know if it's a different reason to quit alcohol. It, it's a different. It's almost like on a different scale, and the the purpose is more focused on fitness and productivity and overall health. But I wonder, like someone in your shoes, somebody who's legitimately been through like a really hard struggle with alcohol, like what's your take on that whole uh, movement? So we're we're talking about improvement, and um, you know we've had conversations about nutrition, we've had conversations about breath work, we've had conversations about um, training. We've had conversations about addiction and, um, they're ultimately, they're all about improvement, about, about us improving and, and becoming, uh, our best self. So, uh, so we can be our, you know, we can be available to our families, to our children. Um, we can live a, a long, healthy, happy life and we can, we can model that behavior for our families. Um, so I think that, that, when we start to make steps forward in one area or the, or, or the next, we look for low-hanging fruit in all of the other areas. I mean, we, so, so you, you want your, um, your athletic performance to increase like I do, and, uh, and I didn't really know how to get there. And Ryan said, well, let's, uh, let's work on your nutrition because that will help your athletic performance. Let's work on your your recovery, your sleep, your, your, um, your, your stress level. Let's work on all of them. Um, so I think that once, so if we can back up a couple questions, when you asked me about uh, this 40-year-old person, 50-year-old person that wants to increase their health, we, st- we start on the big ones. But eventually, if that person has, um, has, cut back on his alcohol consumption. He has uh, started walking. He has um, uh, cut out the, 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 the Duncan, whatever that drink is that, that was his favorite uh, sugary, yeah, yeah. frothy drink on the way to work. I can tell you're, uh, can tell you're a Massachusetts guy dropping the Duncan. <laughs> right, <reference>. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so he got a little bit of forward momentum. Now he's going to look for, for other ways to make improvements. And uh, that may be where, um, where the movement for less alcohol comes into play. Mm. Um Plus, you know, the problem around uh, addiction is very, very obvious now. And uh, some people don't just don't want to get into that game. And I, I understand why. I mean, um, you know, any 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 Saturday that um, that you were to wake up hungover is, is a, some wasted time with the family. And it's uh, yeah. some wasted um energy that could have gone to towards your goals, not necessarily you specifically, but other people. So, yeah. um, yeah, so that's part of the answer. And the, the, the other part on the, um, on the non-alcoholic beer, I think that if that's what gets you there, that's, that's a, that's a great, great option for somebody, uh, if they can replace beer with alcohol, 
um, with some with no alcohol. I don't choose mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. I've never chosen to do that uh, because it just uh, maybe psychologically brings me too close to the demon. I'm not sure mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. it is, but um, it's just not one that I that I choose yeah. to go to. My my party drink is uh, seltzer with a little bit of lime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I would imagine that. Um, that, that drinking a non-alcoholic beer might be tougher for somebody who's who's had a real struggle. So, um, but yeah, for for um, I mean, I, I personally have have found it to be great, um, and uh, in a way to to you know, um, good for you know continuing to socialize. And it's interesting. It's it's um, it's become like much more socially acceptable. But like even like six or eight months ago. I was cracking open these things at parties and everybody was like, what are you drinking? And now I was at a friend's house last night and there was three of us all drinking non-alcoholic beer. I'm like, That's okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm like, I think I am like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's me like making all my friends, uh, having this effect on them or whatever. But I was like, Hey, you're drinking a Guinness zero and Hey, you're drinking an athletic and, and, uh, uh, you know, not coincidentally, these are the same friends I'm also texting with about like, Hey, heart zone this and zone two training this and, and all this stuff. Cause exactly. You know, people are taking it a little more seriously. Exactly. So, yeah. Cool. Um, well, listen, we've been going for a while and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I've learned a lot from you. I, I, I learn a lot from you every day and like, I, I love following you on Twitter. Um, Thank you. you just drop so much great stuff and it's inspirational, but it's also like practical and tactical and, so I, I, I highly recommend um, anybody listening to this to, to go over and follow Louie um, on Twitter. But let me just finish up and ask you my standard closing question. It's kind of a hefty one, and you've already dropped a lot of knowledge on me. But uh, if there's one thing you think you've figured out in life so far um, that maybe others haven't yet figured out, um, be curious you know, what, what that one thing would be. Well... I'm kind of, I'm, right now I'm kind of stuck on this um, mindset that comfort comes at a cost. So I guess by nature, humans seek comfort, constantly seek comfort. And maybe maybe um, that was necessary um, um, generations ago. Um, to to keep our to keep us um, thriving, but uh, now there's so much comfort in our world that um, uh, that it can be uh, detrimental to always seek comfort. And um, my recommendation for people is that they go outside of their comfort zone on a regular basis and uh, do things that are difficult, do things that are hard, do things that are uncomfortable, whatever those things are, and um, continue to do them. And, um, you know, my my avenue right now is uh, physical. I'm always out, I'm often outside of my physical comfort zone, but I try to do that also in my relationships and um, in my work career um, and other parts of my life. So, uh, my advice to um, to anyone who's looking for um, for growth in their life is to get outside of your comfort zone. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, 
That reminds me of a quote, I think, from Jersey Gregoric. Uh, that's, you may have heard it. It's, uh, e, uh, what is it? Easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you've been doing a good job making the, the hard choices, uh, throughout your, throughout your life. And, and you had to make some hard choices to walk into, uh, an AA meeting, you got to make a hard choice. Well, maybe you don't have to make this choice. You already made this hard choice that you're getting out of bed at 3.15 a.m. in the morning. Uh, That's easy now, Greg. It's gotten easy. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Um, but, yeah, you've done, a, you've done a nice job uh, kind of personifying that, that whole idea. And, God, man, it is cool to watch you go. Um, and all the – I mean, I love hearing you say – I'm setting new personal bests on marathons and this and that at age 58. It's like, that's cool stuff, man. So thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go. Thank you for, um, thank you for showing the rest of us what's possible. Like, uh, it's really cool. Like I, I can't wait to share this episode with all my friends and be like, all right, you lazy dudes, come on. Let's get it together. Oh, yeah. um, That's great. Yeah. It's so it's so cool to uh, to see um, you putting messages out. I mean, <clears throat> I I know just by uh, speaking with you that that uh, we we run uh, similar we we live similar lifestyles. So uh, it's so cool to see that you're putting that out to the world and and spreading the message. It's important. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now I love, I love talking to people like you and who've got great messages to share. Um, and I love just learning from, from people like you so I can uh, try to implement this in my own life. Um, which is a, which is a lot of fun. Um, all right. Well, what's, what's next for you, Louie, and where can people find you? Uh, cause I'm sure they're all going to want to find you after this. Uh, so, so, uh, I'm setting my calendar up, um, right now for this next year and uh on my on my um uh on my race schedule i have um possibly two 100 mile ultra marathons in the beginning of the summer one i may wow. back down to a 50 miler uh just because uh they're six weeks apart and um uh, I need to make some, <laughs> I need to make some responsible choices. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's also, I also have a 10 mile swim on the calendar for, for this summer. Um, wow. but that is pretty close to one of these hundred miles. What happened was I, uh, I put a hundred mile ultra marathon on the books and then eight weeks later, uh, a 10 mile swim. And then I just real, I just found out that I will probably get into another, uh, hundred mile ultramarathon that I qualified for and that falls in between those two races so I have to do a little bit of shuffling but either way uh, I got a big start to the summer and then I will be finishing it the summer with um, a couple 70.3 half Ironman triathlons and a full uh, again down in in Florida with some of my teammates that I'm really looking forward to and uh, I can be reached uh, or followed or contacted at Twitter uh, my Twitter, um, my Twitter name is at Louis Ravolo, L O U I E R U V O L O. That's awesome. Uh, wow. That is some calendar you got going. Uh, I am, uh, 
You're inspiring me. Let me tell you this. I haven't like run a race or anything like that. It's been like 15 years since I've done anything like that competitively. So you're inspiring me. I am. I was actually um, just looking at races this morning and I think I'm just going to start in April with a 10k just to get something under my belt nice um to get back on the horse here because it's been so long um and so but but appreciate the inspiration yeah uh, and you know Greg it's great it's so great to uh there's such fun events for the whole family and it's such a positive thing I mean uh, over through through that uh, through the difficult times of my life, I never forgot those races with my mother and father. And you will make the same impression and imprint on your children by taking them to that 10k race and to some other races. So yeah, I would recommend really uh, and encourage you to do it. Yep, that's that's great. That that I, that did cross my mind actually. I was thinking about that when I was looking at signing up. I was like, I got to bring my kids to this because just by osmosis, some of this will, some of this positive energy will sink in. Um, cool. Well, uh, well, listen, man. Maybe maybe we'll do a round two at some point, and we'll go even deeper on the training, and uh, and maybe I'll be uh, a little further along in my journey and and able to to uh to have a more informed conversation with you um about all that then but uh but in the meantime yeah everybody go follow louie on twitter we'll link to your handle um in the show notes and uh listen man this has been really awesome i really appreciate the time today yeah hey thanks greg and and anytime uh let's catch up anytime through whatever avenue it is so i appreciate you man and thanks for uh thanks for sitting down with me awesome thank you There you have it, my friends, Louis Rivolo. I told you he was an inspiring guy. I wasn't lying. Uh, Listen, head over to Twitter and go follow Louis if you're not already. It's at Louis Rivolo. I'll also link to his handle in the show notes. Uh, I have a feeling that Louis is about to get huge on Twitter and probably other platforms as well. So get over there early um, and start following him. Uh, Listen, I have few more quick things for you. Number one, just a reminder to subscribe to the Intentional Wisdom newsletter, gregcampion.substack.com. I'm going to write up more on this episode there and uh, publish that in the next couple of days. So you don't want to miss that. Number two, uh, this episode is the first one I've published video on Spotify for. So if you're listening or watching over there, I'd love to know if you like having the video or not. Hit me up on Twitter at Gregory Campion and let me know. And finally, just one more request to share this episode on social media, please, if you liked it. I'm working really hard to grow this podcast and to help as many people as I can. Um, So when people like you uh, take the time to share an episode like this on social media, it is just absolutely huge. And I really, really appreciate it. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening and watching. Um, I really appreciate you and I will see you next time.